World War II. It's known as the greatest generation. And these are their stories. It's the World War II Project. This is the Americhicks with your host, Kim Munson. Hey, welcome to the Americhicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website, Americhicks.com. And we are the Americhicks on Facebook and Twitter as well. Uh, this show, our World War II Project, precipitated from a trip that uh, we took in 2016 with four D-Day World War II veterans. And uh, I came back and realized that it was so important that we capture these stories and uh, so have interviewed over 100 World War II veterans. Truly, truly, it is changing my life. Uh, very honored to have on the line with us Fernando Torres, uh, who uh, was is a World War II veteran. Fernando, welcome to the Americhicks World War II Project. Nice to be here. It's great to chat with you. Now, first of all, you, you've been in high demand uh, to tell your story. So let our listeners know how special it is that they're going to get to hear your story with me. Well, I guess uh, this new generation who, who seems to be back to the 60s, you know, the me, 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 uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of young people, and some of them are not aware of what happened. The books today in the schools don't even cover World War II. Because I have, uh, uh, you know, I'm a next teacher. I'm retired. So I still have some contact with some of the teachers, and that's what they tell me. In some textbooks, it's only one little paragraph. And, and, and to me, that's a shame because it's the biggest event that happened in the 20th century. You know, I totally agree. I had uh, been asked to give a speech regarding entrepreneurship at a middle school just recently and was talking about uh, the World War II project. And so I asked the kids, I said, how many of you have heard of Normandy? And I was shocked to see that not one student raised their hand. And then I said, well, how, how many of you have heard of Saving Private Ryan? And one student raised their hand and said, I think that I've heard of that. And it's it's so different in Normandy. When I was there with these four World War II veterans, our group went with the, uh, the, with the veterans to schools. And the kids in Normandy, France, are still taught what you guys did when you came over and freed them from the tyranny and evil of the Nazis. And I think we really need to to go to work so that we are telling these stories again in our schools. But our first step on this, obviously, is this World War II project and getting to do this interview with you. Now, Now you, you had mentioned before we went uh, on, on the recording that you have been asked to do a number of interviews. And what have you typically said to them, Fernando? Well, uh, I... I've turned them all down because I feel that I don't have that much to say. So, so I've, I've said no. So we are really lucky to get to hear, talk with you today. I am feeling very blessed. And, uh, well, some things I rather not remember. Okay. Well, if so. if I ask you a question and you prefer to to not remember that. You know, just say, hey, Kim, let's go to another question, okay? So I'll try not to, to pry too much on that. Uh, Fernando, let's start at the beginning. Um, where did you grow up? What is your life story? Well, uh, I was born in Mexico, in Monterey, Mexico. Okay. And my wife, my wife, I'm sorry, my daughter researched it, and she said that I was brought over to, to this country through El Paso at the age of 14 months. Okay. Uh, which means that I've lived all my life in, in this country. And uh, so uh, it's uh, funny, but uh, all my service was, and I wasn't a citizen. Okay. It, it wasn't until I came back from the war that I became a citizen, and I went to college, and I even got an officer's commission in the artillery. But that was after the war. And... Uh, but I've lived all my life here. I've been educated, raised here, educated. I'm from Texas, in a, uh, a city next to the border by the river Laredo, Texas. Uh -huh. Have you heard of it? Uh huh. And uh, I was in my last. I was going to start my last semester of high school. 
when I was drafted. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and that didn't have to go. Uh, actually, you know, being a non-citizen, I could have gotten away and, and not go. And also, uh, I didn't pass. You know, they used to give you a physical before the, you went into active duty, and, and I didn't pass it because I was underweight. I've so heard. I've I went heard out that. Of myself with bananas and. Uh, <laughs> Ice cream and I don't know what, and I came back and took the, the weight test again, and I think I passed it by half an ounce or something like that. And, and so, Fernando, how much did you have to weigh in order to get into the service? I, I, I don't remember. I think it was about well, you know, the went by, went by the height, and I was five six, so I think I, I only had to weigh one hundred and twenty pounds, something like that. Okay, and so uh, you were underweight. You went out and ate some bananas and some. Uh, milkshakes yeah, and got in up. and to bring your weight up. Okay. I did want to go into the service. And uh, so I finally went into active duty and went to San Antonio, Texas, where I got my uniform and all that stuff. And then I went to Missouri, where I took basic training. Okay. And what was and basic training like? My, what they call the MOS, you know, the, the, what I was supposed to do in the, in the service. Okay. So what yeah. was your basic training like, uh, Fernando? What do you remember about well, that? Well, part of it was, uh, you know, infantry. You know, went to the rifle range, learned how to throw grenades, went into the always the tear gas chamber, you know, so you can learn how to use a gas mask. Okay. And... Uh, well, uh, they he made us crawl under live fire, you know, through a, something full of mud. Okay. It went on hikes, of course. And, that, and all of that was besides our, our, our other training, our, what we used to be our job. Okay. Hey, Fernando, I, I just want to ask you, um, you at that time weren't a citizen, so you probably would not have had to have served, and you were underweight, but you went out and ate bananas and milkshakes so that you could get into the Army. Why did you do that? Why was that important to you? Well, you know, like I said, uh, I, I was raised in this country, so I, I was... I didn't know, or I didn't feel like I, I was not a citizen. I was just a, an American kid, mm-hmm. and I was in those days. We were very patriotic, and unlike today, we were very patriotic. And uh, I could see some of the fellow. You know, I, I like to call myself a son of the Depression. Uh-huh. And, and in those days, kids had to drop out of school. To help the family. Right. My father had a dairy, and uh, he, he was very kind. He kept delivering milk to his clients, but then pretty soon they couldn't pay for it. And so finally he went broke. He lost his business. And, and then he got sick. So all the kids used to graduate past their normal age, you know, not eight, which is 18 years old, a lot of more, 20, 21. Uh, I was about, I had just turned 20, and I was about to start my last semester of high school. And uh, I asked them if they would let me finish, and uh, they said no. So I, uh, I went into the service. Did you ever finish high I school? That was my duty to go and defend my country because the United States was my country. I mm-hmm. didn't feel like any other country was my country. The United States was it. Okay. And so you were 20 years old. What year was that, Fernando, when you went into this? 1942. 1942. Okay. Um, one other question. Did you ever get finish high school when you came back? After the war, like many other veterans, because there were a lot of us, we went back to, to high school, believe it or not, regular high school, and finished. Okay. Okay. So, Fernando, it's 1942. Let's back up just a little bit. Can, do you remember when you heard that uh, Pearl Harbor had been bombed? I was at a movie, and when I got home, my, my brother next to me said, uh, they just bombed Pearl Harbor. And I said, where is Pearl Harbor? <laughs> you know, I didn't know. So, and then that's how I learned about it. And then, of course, on the radio, that's all they talked about. 
Okay. And do you, what went through your mind? What were you feeling when you heard that? Well, of course, I it was very angry, like everybody else, you know. And, and we're going to do this and that to the Japs. Maybe it's what, what's what we used to be called in those days. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So then not 1942, I mean, that's not too far after Pearl Harbor has been bombed. And you've gone through basic training. Uh, so you've finished basic training. Where do you go from there? Well, we went to maneuvers in Tennessee, came home, got a, got a furlough, and then we went to maneuvers again in Bend, Oregon. From from there, my battalion was sent to Fort Lewis, Washington. When we got there, uh, you know, being in the Pacific Ocean, we said, uh-oh, we're going to go to the Pacific. Mm-hmm. And we had all these horror stories about uh, malaria and the mosquitoes and snakes and what have you. And, uh, but the Army, in its mysterious ways, decided that we were going to go to Europe. So they put us in a train, and we went all the way across the United States uh, to Camp Shanks, which was north of where West Point is located, uh, by the Hudson River, you know, the part mm-hmm. is navigatable. Yeah. And so one night they put us on a boat, sailed out the bay, and away we went. The, the ocean was very, you know, this was in October of uh, 43. The ocean was really bad at that time of year. So finally we landed in Glasgow, Scotland. And there they put us in a train and we went down south to England to a city called Bristol. And from there they took us to an outskirt town that was called Filton. And that's where we stayed for eight and a half months. Okay. And what were your accommodations like there? Were you in tents? Did you have barracks, Quonset huts? What did- well, that was a, uh, the strange thing. This didn't happen to everybody. Everybody, some other people, you know, like you said, they had barracks. Some even lived in tents. But the funny thing about our outfit was we lived in regular houses. Oh, really? I'd never heard that. Okay. No, I never heard anybody of this happening to anyone. What they did, one house, they took all the furniture out, the family, of course, left, and they put bunks in all the rooms. So I don't know how many of us were in the house. In the next house, the families were still there. Then the next house, GIs. Then the next house, the regular English family is still living in their house. So the families, do you know, the displaced families, where did they go? Do you know? I have no idea, to tell you the truth. Okay. Well, that is really interesting. How about food? Uh, good food? Well, in the block, you know, in the middle of the block, you know, the square block, right in the middle, they, they built a, a mess hall. So while we were in England, we always had the hot food. Okay, okay. Okay, Except so when we went on, on some kind of a, an exercise, and then we had to eat the, <laughs> the K rations. Yeah, I hear those were really, really good. Oh, uh, they were horrible. <laughs> okay, so this is 1943. So their preparations are starting for D-Day. Were you involved in that much at all? Well, while I was in England, and they they used to send me a lot to to work with the English troops in you know, the English. Uh, there was an incident that I, I, I might have had something to do with it, but I doubt it. In the southern part of England, there's a beach that looks very much like Normandy. Okay. So they decided to have an exercise and, uh, you know, have a landing just like they would have had in Normandy. And they were going to fire live fire to the, over the troops so they would get used to the noise and all of this thing. Well, what happened was that the Navy, so our Navy and the British Navy were involved as well as some British troops. But what happened, they, in communicating with each other, the navies didn't have the same code. So the British Navy left. And they left a bunch of uh, Higgins boats. I don't know. You heard about mm-hmm. Higgins boats? Right, the landing craft, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they left them alone. And uh, so some PT German boats came by and sank a lot of them. And up to today, uh, how many people got The numbers fluctuate from 100 to 400. GIs got killed. 
Oh, my god. At any rate, uh, they sent me and some other guys to a British camp to teach them our code. Okay. And uh, because that's, that's what happened, that British Navy had left because they didn't use the same code as we did. Well, there was a mix-up there. And, and because and of that... They decided that from now on they were going to use the American code. Okay. And since I was involved in communications and I knew the code, uh, so a group of us went down there to teach it to them. See, every time before you start a, a, a message, you have three letters, which I guess tells whoever that receives the message can tell who, what, whatever. And it was, it was really like a vacation because we went to Cotswold. It's a very pretty country in England. Cotswold, I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm -hmm. I've heard of it. The little villages were very quaint, and the girls were very friendly. And some funny thing happened, because I used to go back to camp. And being from Texas, some of the cooks were Mexican-Americans. Okay. So I was friendly with them, you know. We were away from home and all that, so we, we got pretty friendly. So one day I walked into the into the kitchen and said, hey, guys, there's something that you have a little extra that because, uh, you know, we don't like it or something. He says, well, we have a lot of corned beef hash, okay. you know, where it's got little uh -huh. pieces. Well, I said, can you give me something? He said, sure, here's a can, about three-pound can or something like that. So when I went back to the, to the British camp, I gave it to their cooks. And the next morning they served it. Oh, my God, they thought I was a king or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was because the British food, Army food was so bad. Anyhow, that was fun. That was a funny incident that happened. Okay. Hey, yeah. Fernando Torres, World War II veteran, let's stop right here. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back. Before we do that, wanted to give a shout-out to uh, one of our sponsors, and that is Hooters Restaurants here in Colorado. Basketball season is in full swing. The Nuggets are very exciting, and March Madness is just right around the corner. The okay. best place to watch the games is Hooters. Uh, they have plenty of TVs to catch your favorite games. So did you know that Hooters Wings can fly? You can have them delivered right to your front door. Uh, and try those new smoked wings. They're delicious, only half the calories. So order your Hooters Wings to go or have them delivered to your front door. More information, visit HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. And let them know that you know the AmeriChicks. So this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks World War II Project. We're talking with Fernando Torres, a World War II veteran, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Uh, thrilled to have on the line with us Fernando Torres. He is a World War II veteran from the European Theater. Uh, we're right now, we're in 1943. Uh, Fernando served in communications, uh, and uh, he is uh, in, in uh, uh, let's see, you're in uh, Cotswold, England. Is that right, Fernando? Is that where we are yeah. in the story? Okay. My, uh, the, the British camp was located in one little village in, in Cotswold. That, that area is called Cotswold. Okay. And you're working on communications so that the Americans and the British can communicate each, with each other as they're preparing for the D-Day invasion, right? Right. Okay. So how, I mean, was that complicated? Uh, was it easy to do? Or, or tell, tell us about that. No, actually, it was very simple. Like I said, before you sent a message, you would put these three letters, okay. which was the code. And, and the, the people receiving the message by, by reading these three letters, which usually started with a Q, uh, they could tell what kind of message it was so, so they could distribute it. Was it uh, just a common message or was it secret or semi-secret, uh, that, that type of thing. Okay. And then uh, who was the message going to? Was it to the Navy? Was it to some infantry unit? Was it to some artillery unit? You know, that sort of thing. So basically then the British just had to learn all those different, uh, you know, entities yeah, they that they would learn, have to send it to. Uh, those letters, yeah. Okay. okay. Then, then we were in sync after that, the rest of the war. Okay. So when, uh, where are we now, now on the timeline as we're coming up we're to Normandy? Ready for Normandy. Okay. 
So one day, uh, here comes one of the sergeants and says, all right, you guys, get all your gear together. We're leaving. So, you know, the usual gripe. Anyhow, they put us in trucks in the afternoon, and we traveled all night long. You know, the rumors about Normandy had already started, and I thought that's where we were going to go. So early morning, we are back where we started. It's all the gripe. About three days later, the same thing. All right, guys, we're leaving. Load up. And they took, took us to Plymouth. And there they put us in little boats because uh, there were thousands of boats. Even civilians provided their boats to transport the troops to Normandy. And so they, they split the, the battalion. I don't know how many boats. All, all I remember was they put me in a boat. Uh, I'm not a Navy man, so I don't know the classification. It was an LST or an LCT, uh, something like that. And uh, it, it was open, so if I looked down, I could see that we were carrying a Jeep and a two-and-a-half-ton truck. That's all. Wow. So we we sailed all night, and, and on June the seventh, very early in the morning, we landed in Normandy, Omaha Beach. So you were there the next day. The next morning, the very next morning. Oh. Yeah, very early in the morning, maybe five o'clock, something like that, and uh, so there was still artillery going on, but it was mostly from our navy trying to bombard the Germans, you know. They were on the beach and knock out their, you know, their, their artillery. Anyhow, we got off the boat and ran toward the cliffs because there were cliffs in the part of the, the beach. The, that part of the ocean, in French, they call it Compagnie Sauvain. It's kind of an inlet that goes into And that's where I landed. So was that the cliffs of Duhok? Well, we were next to some place that they called it ad hoc. Okay. You heard of that? Uh, no, but I'm learning as as we're talking. So, so this I is think that's where the uh, special troops threw uh, ropes on top of the cliff and they climbed the ropes. Okay. Yeah. Point to hawk. Okay, I'm with you now. Yeah. And that was about maybe a mile, mile and a half away from where I landed. Of okay. We didn't do that. Okay, okay. It that special. Uh, the next day, the first thing happened to me, and uh, 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 Messer Schmidt straked us. No, I'm sorry, what again, Fernando, what happened? Us. Okay, they strafed and, you. Uh, uh, that was the most scary thing that I, uh, uh, it happened to me in the war, because you feel so helpless, you know, here's this flame shooting at you, and there's no place to hide. And even if you hide someplace, the bullets are strong enough to go through. And so, but we seem to have all survived. Nobody got hurt, believe it or not. Wow. Okay. A poor, poor aim, I suppose. Uh, a day or two later, then we, we went started marching, and we went to, to uh, the outskirts of a little town called Isigny. Okay. And, and that's where the whole battalion got together. We slept on the ground in the outskirts. And, uh, you know, everything was it was a mess. Everybody was running around. Some people didn't work. Some communications failed and all that. Uh, one thing they had, they had taught us to do was gas. Of course, the Germans never used gas, but uh, neither did we. Uh, they said... If there's a gas attack, somebody's supposed to fire three shots in the air. So one night we were just about to get ready to go to sleep, and there were three, somebody fired the three shots, so everybody ran for their gas mask. Not too far from us were these two guys who were really buddy buddies. They were Jeep drivers. And uh, they had put up a tent. I don't know why. The rest of us didn't know that. And... Uh, <laughs> It was funny because one of them started crawling and was outside the tent. The other was inside the tent. And they went outside and started crawling towards the tent. And the one inside 
even though they were such buddies, could say, start telling him, hey, L.A., don't die next to my tent. Go to die somewhere else. <laughs> it was funny. Anyhow, what had happened, one of the gasoline tanks had got into the ditch, and somebody got confused from gasoline and gas. Uh, at the time, we thought it was kind of funny, but because these guys were so friends, yeah, such friends. Oh my God! Anyhow, from there we we went to a, a town called Abranches. Okay. And we just kept going. We went to Saint Law. I saw the bombing of Saint Law. We were about three, four months from Saint Law. We could see it in the distance, and all of a sudden we hear this huge roar, and we look around and. The sky was just about dark with airplanes. I, I, I don't know how many uh, hundreds of thousands of airplanes they sent to bomb St. Law. When they started bombing, and pretty soon all you could see was just a cloud, a big cloud of dust where the town had been. Wow. But something happened, and one group of airplanes went the wrong way, and they started bombing our own troops. Oh, my gosh. Friendly fire. And up to today, I don't think they've ever met the, you know, the, the army, I guess they thought they wouldn't say because they hurt civilian spirits, whatever. Keep your voice up. And uh, up to today, nobody has admitted how many of our own troops died. Some say 100, some say 400. I guess we'll never know. Boy, that's uh, war is heartbreaking, yeah. Uh, but friendly fire, boy, that's a really tough one. So, Saint Lo, uh, you saw um, the bombing of Saint Lo. Where what where'd you go after that, then, Fernando? Well, you know, we kept hitting little towns. It was very seldom did we have a chance to go, but I did. I had taken French in high school. Uh, that was my chance to practice it and. Sometimes I go and talk to the civilians, and I got pretty good at it. You know, I could really carry conversations with them. Okay, we're sent, from there, we wound up in the gardens of Versailles. That's where we made our camp, in, in one of the gardens of the palace of Versailles. But we, they used to, you know, the Germans were running like mad towards Germany. So, uh, Okay. Uh, they used to take us by truck to Paris for oh, about five days. And that was great, you know, the girls kissing you, the guys. And, and so, Fernando, that was one of my questions. And all that sort of thing. The, yes, the French, uh, as you're coming into these villages, and then you mentioned in Paris that the the French girls were kissing you. I mean, the French really were so grateful that you guys were there. Uh, and had uh, run the Nazis out. Uh, what was it like in those little villages as you went through those? Well, the people were very nice, but, uh, you know, they uh, were short of a lot of things. And they were very grateful that you gave, you gave them a bar of soap and uh, cigarettes. Cigarettes, were, for them, was good currency because they could trade the cigarettes in the black market and, and, and get food. Didn't you go through... Four major battles before then? That's what she wants to know. No, we're talking in Normandy, my wife here. Okay, then. I go through five battles. Yes, I did, but this is the first one. Okay, well, let's Norman. go ahead and go then to the next one. I, I appreciate her keeping us on task, so thank you, Mrs. Torres. So let's talk about the next battle then, uh, Fernando. Well, the next one, after we left Paris, we went to San Quentin, not in northern France. Got a battle star for that one. You know, one for Normandy, and then the next one was uh, Northern France, where we were chasing the Germans. The Germans, like I mentioned before, were running like mad. So, uh, and then we crossed into into Belgium. We went by the Moose River. We went to a little town called Namur. Okay. And we got strafed again. We were on the it was a beautiful day, so we were all on a bridge watching the water go by, just relaxing. We see this plane with two tails, and we said, "Oh no, that's one of ours!" And no, 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 that's a German plane, and they couldn't decide what kind of plane it was. So all of a sudden, we see it turn, and then we see the little oranges coming out of the wings, and then we knew that uh, we were going to get it. And so we ran, and the, the first door we saw open, 
we jumped in there. I know I jumped on top of his other guys. And uh, as far as I know, nobody got hurt. And so that was the second time I got strafed. Later on, I found out that the plane was American. So once more, friendly fire. Oh, my gosh. From there, we went to a city called Verbiers, and then we turned south to, to Spa. Okay. That's where the name for the spas come from, this, this, this city. Huh, I never and there knew. we set up our message center and that kind of thing. That we got there, but uh, I think it was the last days of September, the first days of October. And it's, it's, the weather started getting very, very cold. And that's one thing I remember about the Battle of the Bulk. This is, and, and we were there in December the 16th, the Germans attacked. That was the beginning of the Battle of the Bulge. Now, where where are you exactly? Communications, you would be back a little bit from the front lines. And we were very close to the front because they used to drive us in, in a trailer. They had a trailer, and they put some teletype machines in there. And, uh, and so they would drive us from place to place. We had to be close because... We had to, to send messages of what was going on. The, uh, communications in an army is super important because without it, nobody knows what to do. So uh, that was the beginning of the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, I was ready to go to work. The truck was supposed to pick me up. Uh, instead, this truck came by and stopped and says, get in the truck, and I says, why? I'm going to work. No, you know, you're not. The Germans just attacked. See, the, the, the Germans were smart. There was a division, the 106th, uh, the commander officer was General Jones. And this division had just arrived from the United States, Green. They had never been in combat or anything. Well, the Germans attacked through there, and they captured 9,000 of them. They just surrendered. Anyhow. 9,000 Americans. And I know some of her. Okay, now. Of course, they, 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 you they know, it's a great time because they put them in the movies, you know, the, the propaganda. And, uh, and anyway, we, we wander around three days. Sometimes we couldn't eat anything. We, we didn't have anything to eat. And uh, asking everybody, we didn't know where our unit was. So finally, we got to northern Belgium to a town called Tongres. Now, Fernando, let me stop you right there. How did you end up uh, being separated from your unit? What happened? Well, every, you know, like uh, the British are coming, everybody ran everywhere. Okay. And uh, nobody said to anybody else who they were, where they were going or anything. Right. They, they were just trying to get out of the way of the uh, Okay. Uh, like I said, we were on the group of four or five people that saw this. Okay. This truck. And like I said, we, we used to stop at units and said, can you give us something to eat? And they would say, no, sorry, but we barely have our own troops. And some other says, well, we don't have any food either. It was pandemonium. You know, they, they were really surprised at the Germans when they attacked. Right. It took us a while to get organized. Right, and as you mentioned, so this was December 16th, uh, 1944, and it was bitterly cold. Did you have the proper equipment, boots, gloves, all that kind of stuff? No, I really didn't. Like the first night, we went into a coal mine because, then, you know, the deeper you get in a coal mine, the warmer it gets. So we spent the first night there. And the, the next two days, we went, just wandered around. And we got to this town called Tongres, and we found out that that's where they, our company was getting together. Okay. So the Battle of the Bulge is, is raging right now. What are you guys doing now that you've gotten your company back together? Well, you know, we took care of the Army, First Army Communications. We were always somewhat where they could get hold of us because we we, we, we sent all the messages that the army the army headquarters sent to corps and patients and all kinds of that kind of thing. That's why I say that Saving Private Ryan is a bunch of bull. 
It's not none of it. It's even close to the truth. Have you seen Private Saving Private Ryan? I have not. I just I know I need to, but I just haven't haven't well, been able to get through that first scene. No, Fernando, hold on just a second. The connection's gotten a little rough here. So you know, hey, I didn't for, get that. There's some kind of nice going on. Okay, you know what, Fernando, hold on. Let's go to break, and when we come back, let's continue with the story of Battle of the Bulge. So this is Kim Munson with the Americhicks, our World War II project. We're talking with World War II veteran uh, Fernando Torres, and uh, we are currently in the Battle of the Bulge. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Americhicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Uh, be sure and check out our website, americhicks.com. That's where we are on Facebook and Twitter as well. And sign up for our emails. We'll keep you apprised of all of these fabulous stories. Very honored to have on the line with us World War II veteran Fernando Torres. Uh, Fernando, you served in the European theater. Uh, and uh, where we are right now in the story is, is Battle of the Bulge. And uh, the Germans have, have, this was kind of their last hurrah. They've pushed, uh, pushed a bulge, if you will. And we were surprised. And it was very, very cold. So take it from there, uh, Fernando. Well, uh, after we got to Tongres, they said we've got to get the hold of the British because we have to know what they're doing. So they sent a detail, me included, into Holland. We went to uh, this city called Maastricht. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went north of Maastricht in Holland, and we finally found a unit of British soldiers. And so now we could communicate with, with the British Army. We took over what had been a school. The Germans had made it into barracks, and then we threw them out. It was a two-story building. And every night they would send me to this outpost. The British had dug a big hole and put a bunch of tree trunks on top because just about every night the Germans would shell us, and they would use what they called a BT fuse. The shell would explode in the air, and we could hear the sharp notes hitting the trees on top of us. One morning, because I stayed there all night, and I was supposed to keep uh, headquarters abreast of whether the Germans were attacking in that sector or not, I, I got to, to, to the camp, you might call it that, and I, I was sleeping on the second floor, so I, I had breakfast, and I went upstairs, and I was walking towards the window when a B-1 bomb exploded and threw all kinds of shards of glass in my face, and one big piece of uh, glass cut me under the, under the chin. I think they, they can still see the, the scar, and, and that's where I've been claiming the Purple Heart, and I still haven't gotten it. That's 74 <laughs> years later, and I still haven't gotten my silver. I mean, not gotten the Purple Heart. Purple Heart. And uh, when I went down to the to the aid station, it was pandemonium because the guys in the first floor must have really gotten it. You know, they must have really gotten hurt. And I waited for an hour or two. I don't remember how long before they finally someone came and and uh, you know took care of me. But somebody had passed by and had given me a piece of gauze to put on the machine to stop the blood. I guess. Oh my <laughs> Anyhow, they sewed it up. And uh, that, that was the battle of the bulge for me. I got hurt. Okay. And, of course, it took over over a month before we threw the Germans back into Germany. So that was a four-battle star that I got right there with the Battle of the Bulge. Okay, you know what? And I, I missed one. So we had uh, Battle of the Bulge. It was Normandy, northern France. Okay. Wait, wait, did I miss something? Yeah, Normandy, and northern... the Battle of the Bulge is three... Oh, yeah, another three, that's three, that's right, three. And then from there, we went into Germany, and then we went along the Rhine River trying to find a place to cross it, and then we found out that the bridge at Remagen was still on. So we were headed that way. But before we got there, it finally, you know, the Germans were trying to bomb, but they were trying to knock it out. Well, anyhow, finally fell. So the engineers put a pontoon bridge across it, mm-hmm. and that's how we crossed the Rhine River. So that's the that's the four battle star. 
Okay. From there on, it was mostly like a joyride, and we went to as far as a city called Weimar, which in World War One had been the capital of Germany, and, and that that was a five stars. And one day this guy comes by and he says, hey, there's something interesting north of uh, the city. You should go see it. What is it? No, he wouldn't tell us. So we got in that truck and we got there. And when we got there, we saw this camp with wire fence all around it. It was a concentration camp, Buchenwald. Oh, wow. And when we got there, bodies were still on the ground. There was a, a, a train car with a pile of bodies, and we got to see the, the oven where they used to burn them. There was no shower. If you read about uh, concentration camps, they all had a, what supposed to be a shower, but they put gas in it. Right. Buchenwald didn't have that. They, they killed in a different way. It was known as a killing concentration camp, Buchenwald. I don't know, thousands and thousands of people died there. And the wife of the commander would look at the prisoners and when we saw one that had beautiful tattoos, whatever they had them, had that prisoner killed, and then they would have, the, have it cured because, you know, our skin turns into leather just like an animal. And she would make lampshades. Oh, my gosh. You know. And, and I saw the lampshades. They hung it after the war, by the way. I had read that a long time ago, but you actually saw that, huh? I saw concentration book and bond. So anybody that tells me that, that that didn't happen, you send them over to me and I'll straighten them out. <laughs> and uh, I told her about the lamp. And that was the end of the war. May 8th, the war ended. And after that, we had nothing to do. We stayed there for a while. This was in in May, so in July. So they they said, okay, we're gonna go back because you guys have enough points. You know, you had to have had so many points to come back to the United States. And, and again, the army in its mysterious ways, instead of going straight to the beaches in France where we were supposed to get on boats, we went up north Germany. Hanover and Braunschweig, or Braunschweig, I don't know what they call it, back through Holland, and, and then to France, and we landed in a camp called Lucky Strike, okay. which is the kind of cigarettes I used to smoke. Uh-huh. And there we got in a boat to the United States. And luckily, when we got to New York City, I, I got to see the Statue of Liberty and all the boats, the fire boats, you know, water and signs saying welcome home and all that and then they put us in the train and we went home they, they gave us a month uh, furlough okay. so, so I went home and my mother sure was surprised oh really Did she, she didn't know you were coming home no my mother for two years didn't know where I was it's not like today you know with your diet five phones that you can even send, talk, you know, say, uh, see them talking and all that. In those days, uh, the, the mail they just sent home, they censored it. Mm-hmm. When they got home, it was full of holes. So uh, so uh, what was that uh, like when uh, you walked? There was no return. The only return address they had, Army Post Office, 200-something, whatever, that's, uh, which didn't tell them anything. So my mother didn't know where I was. So did she know that you I were coming home? The only home? way she could find out is if I got killed. Right. So I'm glad she didn't know where you were. Uh, so did your mother know you were coming home, or did you surprise her? I surprised her. She didn't know. So you walk in the door. What happened? Uh, oh, I, she burst into tears. I'm sure. I'm sure she did. So, hey, you know, one thing I forgot to ask you, and I need, I'm supposed to do that for a friend of ours that's over in uh, Holland, and that is, is uh, the outfit that you, you served with, because he likes to uh, keep track of all that. So can you describe that for our listeners, please? Yeah, you know, I just got back from Holland. Oh, really? It took us to the, the, for the Battle of the Bulge happened. Oh, and you were just over there? Yeah, just uh, a month ago. Uh, this organization called Best Defense Foundation. Uh huh. You can go into the internet and, and see my picture. Well, I'm going to do that because I like to put a picture of you in our email, so I will go find that so that we have that. Yeah, there were six of us. 
You know, I think I might have seen the article about that uh, as I was and, looking and at the people, information. And people taking care of us. So we went to where the bottom of the bulge happened, and we went into Germany and, then, and into France. We visited the cemeteries. Oh, the, whole, the, the Dutch people were so grateful. You'd be surprised. They just couldn't do anything to express their thanks. Yeah, you guys are like rock stars <laughs> over there. So- there were six of us. There was a huge, there's a big city in Holland called Ivanhoven, and they had a huge parade. They call it uh, for Freedom Day. That's what they call it. Well, they put us into vehicles. Uh-huh. We were part of the parade. Oh, awesome. And children smiling? What What was it oh, like? Well, see, our, our rockets gave us a bunch of pictures to to pass out. So the kids were running to shake our hands and the, the grown-ups. And we would give us pictures. So this is in Holland. This was one month ago. And in America... We are only giving a paragraph in our history books to yeah. what you guys did. There is something that's really, really wrong about that, Fernando. Um, I always wear my cap. California is the worst state in the Union in many, many ways. And uh, uh, hardly anybody says anything to me. When they say thank you for your service, it's kind of a surprise. But I go to the East Coast, like we were in Williamsburg. They wouldn't leave you alone, you know. Even little kids would come and, and say, thank you for your service. Uh-huh. Very patriotic. Because we went to visit my granddaughter, who's going to, for her master's in Boston. Besides, also very patriotic. Well, there were many, many other things that happened, but uh, this is a, sort of the... Uh, the overview. Of- okay. Now, what, what uh, was your... Um, you know the battalion and company and all that. What what's that number? Because oh, the number, it's it's called uh, Company A, Seventeenth Signal Operation Battalion. Okay. First United States Army. Okay, great. Okay, Fernando, we probably have maybe enough time for a couple more stories. What would be another story that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, in the Bocage, that's, this is France. In the Bocage, there were hedgerows. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. Explain it. They're like burns. You know how a burn is a uh-huh. pile of dirt that goes on and on because that's the way that the French farmers in the old days used to separate their fields from their neighbors. Okay. And and so the, the the roads in between them are very very narrow, and and this day in July I think it was of 1944, nice day sunny and all that. And we were just you know the war doesn't go on all the time. Sometimes it has to stop to renew supplies and all that. And we were just there, and I said to the guys, there's a lot of apple orchards there. I'm going for a walk, and maybe I can get some apples. So I started walking down the road, and then all of a sudden this very, very young kid comes up to me. He says, where are you going? I says, I'm going to go look for apples. Can I go with you? I said, sure. I said, well, you know the drill. Don't walk beside me. Walk behind me. So we kept walking and talking. He was from some town in South Indiana. And he mentioned his town in high school and all that. And we got to a crossroad, and all of a sudden this German pops out. But I had my my, my carabine with a safety off, and right away I started shooting at him, and we, but he got a shot off. He managed to get one shot off. Well, anyhow, he fell, but then all of a sudden this another one comes out, and I, I shot him too. And he fell on top of the other one. And I said, I'm getting out of here. I'm going back. And so I turned around. But this is one story. They asked me to talk to kids, and I never tell it because I start crying. When, anyhow, when I turned around, the kid was lying down. He was, mm-hmm. the, the guy managed to hit him and kill him. I'm so sorry. And uh, so I, I saw a group of soldiers walking towards me. And I said, well, they'll send somebody to take care of him. So I went back to my unit. I never mentioned it. Nobody asked me, just asked me, 
if I got any help with it. So the only question they asked me is, well, we got to go. So nobody has questions. Wow. That was the end of that. That was... Uh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Some bad, I guess you would call it. Fernando Torres, we have just a, a minute or so left. Uh, question, what do you think of when you see the American flag? Oh, it fills my heart. And you know some bumps here stole my flag. Oh, gosh. Because I put it out you know, on the holidays and all that. It's uh, my American flag, so they, they, someone stole it. Oh, my gosh, that's hard to believe. things are. Well, and um, one other quick thing. What would you say to young people today, Fernando Torres? I would tell them you don't know how lucky you are to live in this country. And I said, and it's all because people of my generation, it isn't for nothing that they don't call us the best generation. Mm, I know, I know. Because all the things they have, they didn't invent them. We invented television, and we invented everything else. All they have done is improve them. Yeah. And you are very, very lucky that you don't have to fear somebody knocking at your door at 2 o'clock in the morning and dragging you out somewhere. Well, that's for sure. But, uh, my, my, my wife teaches, uh, sometimes teaches uh, music in high school, and some, one time they were playing this song. What's the name of it? Normandy Beach, and she asked, yeah, 110 kids in the, in the class, and she asked them, do you know where Normandy is? And no one knew. And oh. why was it famous? Well, you know what? We've got to bring these stories back, and so that's the reason that we're doing our World War II project. This is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. Fernando Torres, thank you to you. Thank you to Mrs. Torres as well uh, for sharing your story. I greatly appreciate it. So God bless you, Fernando. Thank you for sharing your story. Join us next time for the World War II project and your host, the AmeriChick, Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting the greatest generation.